Good to have you guys here. Uh, it's always a treat when we do parent-child dedications and, uh, and get to, to view that. And, and often, uh, the highlights for me at SunWest are the parent-child dedications, the baptism Sundays, uh, when we have people joining membership here. Uh, and so in the new year, uh, I just can highlight this quick before we jump into the new series. We're, we're having a baptism Sunday in January, and you're thinking, why so far out? Well, we've actually changed our baptism process uh, in these days. Uh, and so it used to be a class that you go to. And uh, so people would attend a class, and then they would get baptized. And, and, and what we were inherently doing as we processed uh, people into baptism by doing it that way was, was kind of teaching that baptism is about them and God. And it is about them and God, but it's also about uh, community. We, you're not only baptized into Christ, you're baptized into Christ's body. And so uh, over the years, we recognized that there was an individuality to faith that we were promoting uh, just by, you know, someone showing up, studying, doing a class, and then showing up on a Sunday and doing baptism. Uh, there was a community aspect, a discipleship aspect that we were missing. And so uh, we've actually changed the format of our baptism uh, class and process, and it's uh, baptism uh, mentoring. I'm getting to that in a second. It's baptism mentoring. Uh, and so if you want to get baptized, if you want to take that faith of just publicly declaring uh, that you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you into a mentoring uh, process. And so we have mentors uh, that would meet with you multiple times, and, and it's a, a discipleship journey uh, towards the decision to be baptized. And our hope in doing that is actually uh, incorporate people into the body and have a sense of community and relationship. Uh, it's not just a commitment to God, but also a commitment to people. Um, and so if you're interested in getting baptized, uh, let me know, uh, or uh, let one of our pastors know, and we'd love to get you started in that process. Okay, reunion. Uh, we're starting a new series. We just finished uh, our last series, I Want to Believe in God, But, and now we're moving into a new series called Reunion, and we're looking at the good news of Jesus for seekers, saints, and sinners. Uh, and so if you are exploring Christianity, if you consider yourself a seeker, this is a great uh, series for you to kind of engage in uh, and find out what this gospel, what this good news, what Jesus and his message and his life and his death and resurrection, what it all means and what it's all about. Um, and so we just invite you into the process and the journey with us. Uh, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, you've been going to church for a long time, you're thinking, man, uh, this is like just like basic stuff. Um, I would... Uh, beg to differ. I think that we have largely misunderstood the gospel, what the good news means uh, in our world, in our culture. Uh, and when you think about people even sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus, how many of us actually do that on a regular basis? Uh, my guess is uh, that very few of us are engaged on a regular basis, which would tell me that we don't really believe it's good news. Uh, that there's something about it that we, we believe and maybe we're ashamed of the gospel. We don't share the gospel. We're not really excited about it. And so uh, why is that? I think it's because maybe we've actually misunderstood it. Uh, we don't totally uh, buy into or actually know what Jesus was inviting us to. Uh, and so in this series, I'm going to be challenging those who have been following Jesus for a long time uh, to actually step out and share the good news uh, and to become people of, uh, of, of sharing. Okay, I, uh, I got a different remote. Uh, we got technical difficulties. I'm using my phone, so I keep tapping it. 
by accident, so that's why I'm jumping ahead. So Reunion is based off, uh, it's based off a book in a series that a church called The Meeting House did. It's a multi-site church based out of Toronto. Uh, Bruxy Cave is a pastor, teaching pastor at The Meeting House, and he wrote a book uh, called Reunion, and I've been emailing uh, with The Meeting House and Bruxy, and they, uh, they have given us full thumbs up to use their material and do a series, and so we're thankful about that, and that's why I had a picture of him. I, I said, let's Introduce yourself to Bruxy. This is Bruxy. Everybody say hi, Bruxy. All right. Um, that was pathetic, but that's okay. Uh, so uh, this is Bruxy. doesn't look like much of a pastor, does he? And uh, one of the things I, I really like about Bruxy is his tattoo. And so here's a picture of him in his tattoo. Uh, and I actually don't have any tattoos. It's not because I'm against tattoos. Uh, it's because I can't really decide on putting something on my body that uh, is like a big enough deal that I'd be okay with for the rest of my life. And, uh, and then whenever I see a great tattoo, I feel like I can't copy somebody. And so I'm always, when somebody finds like one of those like tattoos, like, oh, that would be worth putting on your body. I'm like, okay, taken. So I just can't ever make up my mind. But Bruxy actually only has one tattoo. Uh, the tattoo that he has is Leviticus 19, verse 28. And uh, some of you already maybe opened your phones or your uh, Bibles and tried to figure out what does that verse even say. Uh, so he's got this one tattoo, Leviticus 19.28. And so you're obviously thinking, what does Leviticus 19.28 say? Is that worth putting on your body and having it on there the rest of your life? Something, an obscure passage from Leviticus. Uh, and so if you could turn to Leviticus 19, verse 28, this is what Leviticus 19.28 says. Do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. I love it. Um, and so why in the world would Bruxy do that? Why would he put that to you on his, his forum? And, and he talks about this, and, and it's a conversation starter because people will see his tattoo and they'll say, hey, what's that? Oh, Leviticus 9.20. What, what, what is that referring to? It's a Bible passage. What does the Bible passage say? Well, it actually commands me not to put uh, tattoos on my body. Uh, huh? So why does he get How does that make sense? Uh, well, I... I actually have the freedom to put it on my body because of the good news of Jesus. Let me tell you about it. And so it, it actually serves as a starting point uh, to gospel good news conversation. Um, and so in Leviticus 19, if you were to turn there, there would be a whole bunch of things that you would find in Leviticus 19. Uh, men must never wear or cut their hair or trim their beards. And so and we thought like hippies was a thing of the 1960s, but it was apparently a deal 3,000 years ago when Leviticus was written. Uh, so they were commanded not to cut their hair, not to cut their beards. Farmers must never plant two kinds of crops in the same field. Anybody a farmer here? Me neither, so we're good. We're, we're okay. My dad, my dad and my brother are farmers, and they might be in violation of this. I've got I to check with them. Uh, everyone must avoid wearing clothing that is woven with two different kinds of material. Who's wearing pure wool sweater this morning? Pure cotton. Uh, this is confession time. Is there anyone here or online that is wearing uh, a shirt that has two materials blended together? Anybody got a polyester blend? Let's look for honesty here. Okay, I see some hands. Okay, if you put your hand up, we're going to invite you to stand up. We're going to stone you. Uh, we're going to throw rocks at you till you die. And we joke about that. But that's actually what it talks about in Leviticus 19. So, uh, also in Leviticus 19, as we read it, you're like, okay, obviously we don't feel the need to follow everything that's in Leviticus 19. Um, but there's also 
rich wisdom in Leviticus 19. Like it talks about respecting your parents. Uh, don't cur- curse people who are deaf because that's fruitless because they, they can't hear you when you're cursing them. And it says, don't put stumbling blocks in front of blind people. This is wise advice. They can't see it. Um, and one of Jesus' favorites is to uh, love your neighbor as yourself, which we know uh, is, is the hallmark of those who follow Jesus. Uh, so how do we get to choose from Leviticus 19 which parts you're going to follow, which parts you're not going to follow? Uh, and if we're not following some, are now we being unbiblical or not really people of the Bible or following God fully? Uh, these are great questions. The urgency of Bible-believing people to figure out how it actually applies, how the Bible actually applies to them, uh, just gets greater as you go through scriptures. And even bigger questions like, should we war against nations who don't embrace our God? Should we, uh, you know, people who are, uh, should, we, should we stone people that wear the wrong uh, type of sweater or uh, stone witches? Uh, what about the list of personal defects that we read in Leviticus 29 that disqualifies priests from serving, uh, like bad skin, bad posture, bad eyesight, broken bones? I would be out. I've broken so many bones, and if you've been around SunWest, you know that. I break bones on an average of once a year. And so if it says if, you're a, if you've broken a bone, you actually can't be a priest. Um, so I might be out. Actually, I'm not a priest. Why don't we have priests anymore? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it talks about that. Uh, so why would Bruxy, Bruxy put this tattoo of Leviticus 19 uh, on his arm? Uh, like I said, it, it's the beginning of a conversation about what it means to be a follower of Jesus uh, what it means to actually understand the Bible, what is the actual good news, and how is that, that different than what people might think that Christianity is all about. Uh, and so we want to jump into what is the good news, what is the gospel, uh, what does it actually mean to be Jesus' people in this, uh, in this next series. Uh, and so as soon as you open the Bible, like you said, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, and and we got to figure out what does it mean to actually be Bible-believing Jesus followers. And in Hebrews 8, verse 13, there's a fascinating little verse, and it says, says this. When God speaks of a new covenant, he, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now at a date and will soon disappear. And so if you've been around church before, you've maybe heard of the phrases Old Testament, New Testament, or maybe heard people refer to those um, and if you ask many Christians, why, well, why do you have a part of your Bible called the Old Testament, a part of your Bible called the New Testament? Uh, they would probably give you the answer, well, the Old Testament was written first, so it's older than the New Testament, uh, which is actually uh, not true. That's not where those names come from. Jesus didn't have an Old Testament and a New Testament. What he had was the Jewish scriptures, what we consider now our Old Testament, And they didn't call them old at the time for the same reasons that we currently don't call our Bible old. Uh, The term Bible wasn't applied to anyone's scriptures until about 200 years after Jesus' last words. So you had the Jewish scriptures, and then you had a bunch of crazy folks who were proclaiming that there was this Messiah guy that was crucified, and he was raised from the dead, he came back to life. And so the term testament comes from a Latin term used to translate a Greek term that reflects an English term. You guys follow that? The name testament comes from a Latin term that was used to translate a Greek term that is referencing an English term. So testament actually means covenant. Everybody say covenant. Uh, the language of Jesus uh, at the time, uh, people outside of Palestine spoke the, the, the language of Greek. Uh, over time, the church began to use Latin and it replaced Greek as the primary language of Western culture. 
And Latin's fr- the Latin phrase for a new uh, covenant is novum tes- testamentum. I don't speak Latin. Novum testamentum. Uh, so novum means new. That's Latin for new. Testamentum means uh, covenant. Is lat- Latin for covenant. So when the Bible was translated in English, editors chose to stick with the familiar Latin term, testament, rather than use the English term covenant. And unknowingly, uh, I think it started to communicate something that was, uh, it alluded to the truth, but it actually, it's easy to miss. If we translated uh, from Greek to English, we'd call them uh, Old Covenant and New Covenant. And it has a little bit of a different feel, don't you think, than Old Testament and New Testament. Old Covenant and New Covenant. So covenant refers to the uh, agreement between two parties on how they are going to relate to one another. We make a covenant, we make an agreement on how our relationship is going to work. Uh, when, t- when a couple gets married, they make a covenant together and they say their vows and there's a, they express to one another the, the expectations of how this relationship is going to work. Uh, and so uh, what happened is uh, that, that there was something that happened 2,000 years ago that was so world-changing, so transforming, uh, that the early church, the early followers of Jesus recognized that something new happened that the old way that God had agreed to relate to his people has changed and that there is a new covenant in place. There's something new that has taken place. Even the old covenant itself refers to this. In Jeremiah, it says, the, new day, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. With the people of Israel, and this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And so the writer of Hebrews, actually in Hebrews chapter 8, rewrites, uh, he copies this Jeremiah passage, reminding those people that were part of the Old Covenant uh, that this was God's promise from the very beginning, that he was going to do something new. And now, and now he's saying that there's a new covenant. The Old Covenant is obsolete. And old can be used in a few different ways when we use the word old. Uh, so if I said, uh, here, I want to introduce to you my old girlfriend. Uh, I could mean a couple of things by that. I could, I could mean, I want to introduce you to my girlfriend who is rather advanced in age. And you say, that's silly, because uh, what you're assuming I'm meaning is I, want to, I would introduce you to my former girlfriend. Uh, I don't know why I'd introduce you to my former girlfriend, but there you go. Um, if I say meet my old girlfriend, I'm probably referring to a former girlfriend. Uh, but there's many ways that we can use the word old. The word obsolete that's being used here is, is that word that means former uh, old. It was from the past. It doesn't continue. It's like an old girlfriend or boyfriend. Uh, we've moved on since then. Uh, and so Jesus, the writer of Hebrews is saying that there is an old covenant. It's obsolete. It's former. It actually doesn't continue. But there's a new covenant that is now in its place. And what is that covenant? And that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, Jesus, Jesus taught that the teaching of scriptures would somehow be fulfilled. And he, he mentions that in Matthew, uh, Matthew 5 and Luke 16. Uh, and so as I say this, you may think, well, didn't Jesus say, you know, I've come to fulfill 
uh, the Old Covenant. Yes, he did say that, and that word fulfill means he came to complete it. That's what the word means. He came to complete what that covenant was pointing towards, and now there's something new uh, that is happening. Uh, that is happening. So we don't have to throw out the first half of our Bibles, far from it, because the first half, the, the Old Covenant, actually tells us the story of God. It teaches what God is like. It, it tells the story of God's people. Uh, it, 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 it shows how people were trying to get to God. It actually shows us how we all try to get to God and how it doesn't even work. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul himself says, you know, why did we have the law? Well, the law existed to show us uh, our need for God, to show us that we are sinful, to show us that, that we have uh, something that we cannot conquer without God's help. That's what the law came to expose and show us. And so absolutely, the Old Covenant actually teaches us, it shows us, and it makes way uh, for the new thing uh, that God is doing and that God did. So what happened between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? Well, Jesus happened. That's what happened. Uh, and so that's one of those times in church where you like, don't know where the right answer is, you just say Jesus. Like, that's the right answer. What happened? Jesus happened. Um, and one of the things Jesus said during his time on earth was this. And this is the way to have eternal life. Okay, so pause. If somebody said that to you, you would be very curious on what they were about to say next. Yes? This is the way to have eternal life. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, and eternal life, just to break down, we're going through some terms I know this morning because I want us to understand what we're talking about uh, when we talk about gospel and good news and eternal life and covenant. Uh, and so when he says, uh, this is the way to have eternal life, that term, eternal life, uh, has a depth of meaning. It means quantitative and qualitative life. Sometimes we think eternal life means life after I die. There is this everlasting life component to the word, eternal life. Um, but there's also a quantitative component to it of a full life, uh, eternal life, this everlasting, the Greek word is zoe, this everlasting zoe life that's full, rich, satisfying. It's the, it's the thing that God created you for. That sense that you're not quite living to your potential, your fulfillment that some of us have, like that is what the gospel actually seeks to address, that there was a purpose for which you were created, that there's something to do. It's not, God didn't just come to save us for eternity, although that's, a, that's part of the gospel, there's something that it means, there's a difference that it makes today in our everyday life. And so Jesus says, this is the way to have eternal life. So we lean in, we pay attention. What is he going to say? You know, does he refer to the Ten Commandments? Keep the Ten Commandments. Does he refer to the Ten Commandments that actually became 613 commandments that the Pharisees had? He doesn't reference those commandments. You know, uh, depending on your faith background, does he point us towards an eightfold path or four noble truths or five pillars or, uh, you know, or the seven sacraments? You know, we, he doesn't lead us towards Catholicism. Um, obviously, he doesn't lead us towards Islam or Buddhism or any of those other practices. He leads us to where? Where does he lead us? Well, this is what he says. This is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. This is eternal life, to know God and to know his son, Jesus. Now, the word to know means more than just intellectual knowledge. To really know a person, you have to have a deep, intimate union with that person. Uh, and this is obvious. If you, if you read through the Bible, you, you very early on, if you read in Genesis chapter 4 in the King James translation, it actually says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. Now, I don't think that means that Adam was kind of sitting there being, studying Eve and being like, okay, Eve is five foot three, she's got brown hair, brown eyes, and then all of a sudden when he knew, knew Eve enough, 
like she just popped a baby. It's like, okay, I hit that intellectual knowledge point. That's not what it means. Uh, similarly, when uh, in, in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Joseph knew Mary not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, which is saying that Joseph wasn't intimate with Mary in a certain way, and so Jesus was born from a virgin. Adam knew Eve, and they gave birth. So you're getting the the point here. Know is experiential. Know is intimacy. Know is is beyond just knowing about somebody, but it's actually knowing somebody um, in in an experiential, relational kind of way. It's more than information. It's intimacy. So Jesus came to lead us into an intimate relationship with God. He didn't come to teach us about God, although that's part of it. He actually came to show us God, to bring God to us that we may know God, that we may experience God. So what he's basically saying is no God, not religion. No God, no religion. That this new covenant is different than the old covenant. And we're going to talk about this quite a bit later on in the series. Um, but Gil Anajar, who is a comparative literature and a professor of religion at Berkeley, says this about Christianity. He says, Christianity is no ordinary religion. It is, at the very least, and since the beginning, the religion of the end of religion. So he teaches religion at Berkeley, and he says, Christianity is different than the other religions, because it is, at its very essence, a religion that's about the end of religion. And so Jesus comes, he comes out of that old covenant and points to a new covenant and says, now there's a new way of actually knowing and experiencing God that's, that makes the old way obsolete. And this message transformed the world. It's still transforming the world. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who encountered the message of Jesus and his life was radically transformed, writes this about it. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And the power uh, that Paul's referring to in this verse is the Greek Greek word dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. That's a fun one. Some of those words, you just like to say dunamis. Uh, and it's where we get the word dynamite from. Dynamite. There's, that, there's something explosive here, Paul is saying. And even Gandhi knew this, who, was not, who did not claim to be a follower of Jesus, but he actually knew, uh, understood maybe what the message of Jesus was more than uh, many of us do. He says, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet but you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. See, Gandhi, Gandhi knew that this, this message of Jesus uh, was dynamite. It was explosive. It was volatile. The dynamite explodes. And it has the, the power to bring salvation. And this word salvation is the, is the word sozo in the, original, in the original language, and it means to to heal, to deliver, to restore, to reconcile. So Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the dynamite, it's the power, it's the explosive uh, message of God that brings healing, deliverance, restoration, reconciliation to anyone who would believe and trust in it. So now we get to the, the crux of it, is this word gospel. Paul says, so I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What does this word mean? Well, the message is so transformative, this message actually had to have its own name. 
had to be called something. Jesus and his followers, earliest followers, called it gospel, which means good news, and the early Christians used it to mean good news. It's the best news you'll ever get. It's the best news you'll ever hear. Uh, the word, the English word gospel comes from the old English word God spell, meaning good tale or good story. Translators chose this word to communicate what the, the original Greek text was, which was euangelion. So say that word, euangelion. There's going to be a Greek test at the end of this morning. Um, we're just getting you prepared for all the words and language we're going to use in this series. So euangelion uh, is the word that we translate gospel or good news. It's where we get a bunch of English words. Evangel, which is the good news of Jesus. Evangelism and evangelize is describing people who share their faith. Evangelist is one who does evangelism. Uh, evangelical, and it's, that word is often misunderstood. Um, in some countries, the word evangelical has, is synonymous with particular religious and political views, whereas it simply means uh, people who are all about the good news about Jesus. And I can remember uh, years ago, I was, I was doing my devos at a Starbucks, and this lady uh, came up to me, uh, and she looked at me, you know, journaling and having my Bible open and said, are you, a, uh, are you an evangelical Christian? I said, well, that depends. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, you know, if you mean someone who is like passionate and excited about the good news about Jesus, then absolutely. Uh, but if you mean a whole bunch of other connotations about uh, religious and political views and, uh, you know, means a whole bunch of things, uh, I said, maybe not. Uh, so we have to talk about what that word means. But at the very foundation of that word is just an evangelical is someone who is passionate about the good news about Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is really good news for everyone, and that's why Paul wasn't ashamed to talk about it even at at the expense of his own life, uh, because he believed that what he had was so powerful that everybody in the world needed to know it. And so this word, euangelion, was a word that uh, the ancient empires would use if, if they had won a war and there was peace in the land and there was security in the land, uh, they would send word out to all the citizens of that kingdom uh, and that word would be called euangelion. Here's the good news of what just happened. Did you guys hear that we won the war and now we can live at peace uh, because of what has happened? Uh, it was the word that was used when new royalty was born. So if there was a new king that was born, uh, then, then, that, then the... the the acting king would send out a word to the citizens and say, hey, there's, did you hear the good news? Did you hear the gospel? Uh, that there was a new king that was born. Uh, when something wonderfully world-changing happens, uh, at that time, there was news that everybody in the whole kingdom would have to know. They would send out you and Gelion. They would send out good news so that they could tell everyone in the kingdom what had been going on. And so this, this word had context at the time that, that Jesus uh, was living. Euangelion, the good news, the gospel news, that something has happened, that something good has happened, something world-changing has happened, that a new king is here, that there's a, there's a new regime that is coming in. Jesus and his earliest followers chose this word to summarize the good news and the message and the hope that Jesus brought, this hope of salvation, of healing, of reconciliation, uh, this, this reunion message of actually humanity coming back together with God. And it's far more than just a spiritual message. It's far more than, than, than this thing that happens when you die. It is very much a here and now, this worldly message that has implications for today. 
In a few, in a couple months, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. And in the Christmas story, you know, these angels show up on the scene and they bring good news. They bring euangelion uh, to some shepherds in the field. Uh, when Jesus was born, the angels show up uh, to the shepherds, and this is what the angels said. They said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. Good news, great joy, all people. Can you say those three words, three phrases with me? Good news, great joy, all people. I want to just pause here for one second. Um, you know, this was a word that came 2,000 years ago, but it's the new covenant, it's the gospel that is still tra- uh, transforming lives today. And we think of our political landscape, our world landscape, and you think of this proclamation, good news of great joy for all people. How, how much do we need the good news today? if that is true. That something has happened that is great news for, that's going to bring great joy for all people, no matter who you are, where you're coming from. If it's true, uh, this ought to be news that we can get behind and that we should be excited about and that we should be willing to share. Uh, and if it's good news that brings great joy, then we should be sharing it in a way that is that's positive and hopeful. And, uh, and this is where we get really confused when we talk about the gospel because often it gets shared in ways uh, that don't feel that joyful, that don't, aren't communicated in such a way that it's good news. It actually sounds, when some people talk about the gospel, it sounds like bad news, and they're not joyful, they're very angry. Um, so there's a disconnect between the message uh, and, and how it's being communicated. When, when proclaimed this way, it, it creates this inherent disconnect because the substance of the message is different than the way that it's being delivered. And so I wonder if we've actually understood what this good news of great joy for all people is all about. Uh, and it's true that some good news only makes sense if you understand the bad news. So, for example, if your doctor says, uh, I have good news for you, uh, I think you have a good chance of beating this cancer. I mean, that's great news. Uh, but if you didn't know you had cancer, that's not good news. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And, and so there is an element to this good news that, that uh, is addressing bad news, that is addressing a problem. Uh, and we will talk about that. We'll get into that as the series goes, that, that the gospel, the good news, is, is actually responding to a question, a solution, a problem uh, that exists throughout humanity. And unless we recognize that, uh, then we maybe don't hear it as good news. Uh, but once, once we understand it, once we see the problem, once we actually understand the question that we can't answer ourselves, then we look to God and he actually has great news, or good news, of great joy for all people, absolutely. And this good news, it's holistic. It's not just intellectual assent. It's not just something I believe in. It's not just something that uh, one day when I got, die, I'm going to experience this good news. It's good news that transforms who I am, the way I live, and how I experience others in God today. You know, there was a, one of the most famous uh, and influential psychologists was Abraham Maslow, and he came up with this uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where he recognized uh, human needs, uh, and he builds it from uh, the, most, uh, the most pressing needs, 
uh, at the bottom, uh, and then uh, and it, as it's presented, it's most uh, the pyramid of priorities ranks human needs by starting at the ground level and, and with physical and safety needs and then moving up through the pyramid uh, to relational and psychological needs, and then it ends uh, at the pinnacle of self-actualization. And so if you've gone to school and you've taken psychology, you would have, you would have studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, and the idea is that uh, people actually can't experience the greater need that's above uh, unless they, uh, that need, uh, the first need is, is fulfilled. Uh, Many people don't know this, but uh, Maslow rethought his whole hierarchy of needs as his life went on and he was observing it. Uh, not that he didn't see it as true, but he, he, he saw that there were some pieces uh, that were missing. And later on, he added, he added uh, another level at the top, uh, the level of transcendence. The highest of all human needs is the need to move beyond ourselves, to be freed from our own ego addiction. Our highest need is to be known and to know someone, something that is greater than ourselves, and to participate in that higher reality. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, this euangelion, actually brings us, brings humanity to a place where these needs are actually met in the gospel. And ultimately, it brings us to a place of recognizing that God is God and that we are not. It, and we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks, but that Jesus came... Uh, as Lord, and, and we, we make our lives about something that is beyond ourselves that actually is for our joy and our benefit. That's the irony of the gospel. Uh, but it responds to other human needs, acceptance, forgiveness, the purpose, security. The good news of Jesus meets our fundamental human needs for acceptance through God's love. It meets our human needs for forgiveness through God's grace. It, it meets our human needs of purpose uh, through the mission that Jesus gives us to participate in his kingdom. It meets our human need for security uh, because God actually removes religion in this guesswork of whether or not we're right with God or not. The gospel, the good news, that is great joy for all people, meets every human being at their greatest needs. So as we continue in the series, we want to invite you to participate in it. Like I said, if, if you're a seeker, um, this is going to help kind of break down what, what uh, Jesus is all about. Uh, if you are someone who's been following Jesus for a long time, I'm going to, I want to challenge you uh, whether you actually believe this is good news. Whether you believe this is good news of great joy for all people. And if so, then why are you holding on to it? Why are we afraid to share it? Uh, and we're going to actually learn to, to think and phrase and, and talk about the gospel uh, in a way that is great news of great joy for all people. Uh, something that, uh, that Bruxy did with the Meeting House, uh, which is not a bad idea. He, he encouraged people to get a study buddy. Um, uh, everybody say study buddy. And, and his challenge uh, that I will continue and I will present to you is to find a study buddy of someone that is not of faith, someone that doesn't believe in Jesus. Uh, it's really simple. You just you find somebody and said, hey, you know, if they don't know your person of faith, maybe that's a good opportunity to tell them. Uh, and say, I'm just learning some things. And part of learning uh, is yeah, I, I learn best when I teach. Uh, can we meet uh, you know, every couple of weeks and I just want to help uh, talk about what I'm learning? Uh, you don't have to believe it, but I want to I say it in such a way that uh, I want to learn how to explain it and talk about it. And would you be willing to, to meet with me to talk about it? Would you be my study buddy? Uh, I would encourage you, if you have somebody in your life, uh, to invite them into an intentional relationship over these next 
uh, over the next couple months as we go through the series. Uh, and then as you learn to teach it, because uh, learning from a monologue, we know you only get five to 10% uh, uh, retention. Uh, but as soon as you move to teaching, you actually learn something in a whole different level. And so I'd invite you to take that risk, to share what you're learning, to find a study buddy, uh, and, uh, and then share with them the good news that brings great joy for all people. I invite you to stand with me as we move to a closing song. Father, we thank you that you um, invite us into a new covenant. Lord, we thank you that we don't uh, have to run around and find uh, sacrifices and, and, and do all these religious acts uh, to somehow be made right with you. Lord, that you made a way for us uh, to have eternal life, full life, forever. We thank you that you did everything that we could not do. Uh, and Lord, would you, over these next few weeks, just expand our hearts and our minds uh, to be in awe and to be encouraged and to be just fascinated by this gospel, this good news that is for all people, that brings great joy. Lord, may it be a source of great joy for us, for those who have needs, these very real human needs, Lord, that you created us with. Uh, we recognize that our, our souls are restless until they find rest in you. Uh, so may we find our greatest needs fulfilled uh, by your presence. Uh, so we just ask you to come. Uh, we thank you that you're here. We thank you for your good news. And may we be good news people in a world that desperately needs some good news. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank you for uh, gathering and uh, joining this morning. Uh, I'm excited about what the, the Lord is going to stir in us as we go through this, uh, this series. Uh, and again, I do believe it's good news of great joy for all people. Uh, and so whichever one of those that you identify with, seeker, saint, or sinner, uh, this is a series for all of us um, because Jesus came for all people. And so maybe you're trying to figure out this faith thing. I would just invite you to lean in, uh, to move through the series with us. Uh, and if you feel stale in your faith, if you feel like you're stuck, uh, I would invite you to lean in and rediscover uh, why this is such good news uh, and start to challenge yourself to step out and to be people that proclaim good news to other people. Uh, like I said, our world desperately needs this. If you would like prayer for anything, we have prayer teams available at the end of service. They'll be at the front. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. A reminder, the starting point, uh, week two is happening in a few minutes in the staff lounge. Uh, let me pray again, and I uh, bless you as you leave. Uh, so, Father, we just thank you again uh, for freedom. We thank you that we can gather. Lord, we thank you for community. Lord, it's been so obvious that one of our great needs that we have as humans is relationships. Lord, to see these babies and these families uh, come together, to see a community stand up and affirm one another is a, is a beautiful picture of uh, what you invite us to. Uh, so Lord, for those in this place that feel isolated and feel alone in these days, uh, would you draw near to them? Uh, would you comfort them? Uh, would you encourage them uh, to step out? Uh, I thank you that we're not on this journey alone, that you're with us and that you've called us to be with one another. Thank you that you go with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a great week. I will see you guys next week. 